Hey, would you agree with me this morning that one of the greatest dangers facing any Christian or any Christian family or any Christian church is the possibility of adopting some form of false teaching? And I realize that that might not be a pleasant thought for a beautiful Sunday on a holiday weekend, but is it true? Whether we want to face that or not, recently the Gospel Coalition published an article entitled Transformation of a Transgender Teen. It began like this, Eva, that the mother was in a church luncheon when she got an email from her 12-year-old daughter, Grace. Their names have been changed. Mom and Dad, I need to tell you that I'm not actually a girl, she read. My, my pronouns are they and them. Eva couldn't breathe. Again, the mother, she felt like she had been punched in the gut. She hadn't seen this coming. In fact, a few months before, Grace had shared on social media her belief that God created people male and female. Back then, Eva was sure that statement was going to earn Grace, who attended a progressive public school, some social problems. Instead, it seemed to blow over right away. I would have gotten bullied, said Grace, who's now 16. Instead, they decided to re-educate me. Don't miss that piece. Instead, they decided to re-educate me. I got invited to groups where all they wanted to talk about was the transgender stuff. Over the course of a few months, I decided I was going to be agender. And then I ended up deciding I was a boy. Grace was experiencing what is often called rapid-onset gender dysphoria, in which friendship groups begin to experience similar gender questions at the same time. One in five, don't miss this stat, one in five Gen X Americans now identify as LGBTQ, double the number of millennials, one in ten, and quadruple the number of Gen X Americans, about one in 20. A surprising number of them... 40% of Gen X and Millennials also identify as religious. Think about that. Increasingly, Christian pastors, youth pastors, and parents are fielding questions and declarations from young people examining their own gender or sexual orientation. Now, I realize you might say, I would rather discuss in church about anything in the world other than topics like that. And there is a side of me that agrees But, um, friends, we can't bury our heads. We we can't. We can't bury our heads individually. We can't bury our heads corporately as a church and hope discussions like this are going to go away. And this is just one of many issues swirling around our culture. So what is a parent supposed to do? And what's a grandparent supposed to do? And what's what's a school supposed to do? And what's a church supposed to do? I would suggest knowing how to properly respond to what you believe may be false teaching is one of the privileges and one of the responsibilities of every follower of Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully, the Lord's not left us in the dark about how to handle such matters. With that in mind, I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, that's on page 183 of the, the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So 2 Peter chapter 1 or page 183 of the, the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Now let's just back way up for a minute. Our theme this entire year is hope for everyday life. And I realize you might say, well, listen, buddy, you have painted yourself in a corner pretty quickly with that introduction because I'm not seeing a whole lot of hope with the issue you just raised. Well, well wait, wait, wait a minute. What about verses like 1 John 4, 4, you're from God, little children, and, and you've overcome them. 
because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we believe that that is true? And if we do, that would have been a good time for a yes, by the way. If we believe that that is true, it ought to give us hope. Or Romans 5.20, the law came in so the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, what happened? Is that the end of the story? Where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do we believe that one too? And, and is, there, is there additional hope in that thought? So transgender theology or, or not, and by the way, that's what it is. It, it's a view of the world. It's a view of God. It's a view of self. Transgender theology or not, can we still affirm one of our key verses for this entire year? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, even on a topic like this, with all joy and all peace in believing so that you will, what? You'll abound in hope. You'll abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning we're beginning a brand new series that's going to take us through the fall entitled Growing in Grace and Knowledge. This is going to be a a verse-by-verse study of the book of of 2 Peter. Now, you may say, well, that sounds pretty pleasant. Well, about that, about that. Earlier this year, you know, we worked our way verse-by-verse to the book of 1 Peter. And you may recall that that book was all about suffering because Peter was writing a around the time of the persecution of the evil emperor Nero toward followers of Jesus Christ. We think that's approximately 64 A.D. So the church wasn't very old. And remember, already they had been scattered because of their faith. And what was amazing in part about that book was it was filled with reasons to have hope even when times are are hard. Well, Bible students believe the book of 2 Peter, what we're going to be studying this fall, was written just a couple of years later. But what is somewhat surprising is the focus of the book is entirely different. The focus now is on false teaching. So think about that. Second Peter, written by the same person just a few years later, it reads quite differently than First Peter. In fact, that's why the authorship of this particular book is debated more than most of the other books in the entire New Testament. Well, conservative Bible students believe that the reason for the difference is that Peter is probably likely in prison now, and he's facing pending martyrdom. Plus, already in the church, there are examples of false teaching threatening these young believers. So this book becomes somewhat of a, a last will and testament. And so Peter's going to address this issue of false teaching, and he's going to address it head on. Now, when I say it's surprising, I'm saying it's surprising that he's dealing with false teaching as you compare what he had just talked about in 1 Peter, but it's not surprising in terms of what the Lord has always warned the church about. In places like Acts 20, when Paul got the Ephesian elders together, you may remember this, it's a very, very important chapter, and he said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul says, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. And so if you say, what are we doing this morning? We're being on the alert. (laughs) That's what we're doing. 
Be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish, warn. Nuthateo, by the way, nous, the Greek word mind, tithemi, place or put, putting ideas in the mind. I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. That's what Peter's dealing with. And commentator John MacArthur said it this way, Second Peter, the book we're reading, along with Jude, is viewed by some as the dark corner of the New Testament. <laughs> Happy Sunday to you. As a result, it's not often preached, except around here, studied, discussed, or quoted. The book is even neglected in scholarly circles where some critics dismiss it as being pseudonymous, in other words, a forged letter unworthy of serious study. But the church of Jesus Christ ignores this epistle at its peril. After all, Peter wrote it to help believers face a world filled with subtle spiritual deception. Knowing that his death was imminent, the apostle wanted to remind his readers, remember that word, remind, 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 of the truths he had already taught them so that those truths would continue to safeguard them after he was gone. Peter also knew that the deadly threat of false teachers loomed large on the horizon. It always has, and it surely does today. He wanted to expose the apostates in order to expel their demon doctrines from the church. (laughs) I really say, oh boy, we're going to study from the the dark corner of the New Testament. This is going to be so depressing. That's not true. That's not true for all sorts of reasons, including this, false teaching. If you've studied this book before, you know this. False teaching doesn't even come up until the, the second chapter. Why would that be? Well, the way this book lays out is very similar to that old illustration of how they train bank employees to recognize a counterfeit dollar bill. You probably heard this by having them study genuine ones. Now, um, full disclosure, I've used that illustration before, and I had at least one bank employee tell me, you know what, that's never happened in my entire career. So um, I don't know if they do. I don't know if they, they don't. But it does make an important point, whether it's true in the banking industry or not. The, the book of Second Peter helps us be best prepared to deal with false teaching by first reminding us. And those are key words. You're going to see it in this passage today. You'll see it throughout this book. Reminding us of the beauty and the power and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ in verses 1 to 15. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And then the sufficiency of the Word of God in the rest of chapter 1. And Lord's willing, we'll study that next week. And then and only then will false teaching be addressed head on. That's what chapter 2 is all about in Second Peter. But even then, That's not an end in itself because the end of the book, I'm trying to give you an overview of the the book of 2 Peter. The end of the book is all about progressive sanctification. It's a rallying cry for the church as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you believe in the power and the purity of the gospel, if you believe in the sufficiency of the Word of God, and at the end, if you're tasting the delightful fruit of Christian growth, then the temptation to dabble in false teaching will lose its appeal. That's the point of the book. That's true for us, and it's also true for those we're trying to impact. Now, this morning, as I said, we're going to look at the first 15 verses of chapter 1. And we're going to rejoice this morning. You ready to do some rejoicing? Here's why. Because God has given you in Christ, God has given you in His Word, all you need. That is wonderful news. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant 
Remember that. An apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Now, now follow this very carefully. By the, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the gospel right there. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For, for by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, you remember these verses, we studied them very carefully earlier this summer. Applying all diligence in your faith, apply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge, self-control in your self-control, perseverance in your perseverance, godliness in your godliness, brotherly kindness in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. You don't want to be that, do you? In the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore... Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Now, in order to understand the approach that Peter's taking here, we have to notice especially verse 12 Therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. So with the time we have remaining, we're going to organize these verses around that key idea of being reminded, being reminded, being reminded by this dear apostle who's facing imminent death, looking for three truths to remember and to apply diligently to grow in godliness and to avoid false teaching. First of all, remember, you've received the same kind of faith. You may have noticed that that Peter humbles himself right out of the blocks by referring to himself as a a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, how and why did this rough-and-tumble fisherman get to the place that he would adopt the position of being a bondservant? That's a very important question. And the answer is he realized the only way he or anybody else could have a personal relationship with the holy God is by receiving somebody else's righteousness, by by the righteousness of, of God and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, one of the best protections against false teaching is long musings on the, the beauty and the centrality and the necessity of the gospel. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the, the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. John MacArthur said this about that, and I, I hope this makes sense to you because it's so very, very important. This immensely important doctrine of imputed righteousness is not ours is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. Salvation is a gift from God at all points, both the faith to believe and the righteousness to satisfy God's holiness comes from Him. 
On the cross, Christ bore the full wrath of God against all the sins of those who would believe. Are you glad for that? But, but that's, not, that's not the end of the story. Those sins were imputed to Christ so that God could impute to believers all the righteousness that was His. Please think about that. Please be sure that you understand that. His righteousness fully covers the redeemed as the prophet Isaiah beautifully expressed it. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Wow! As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels... Then he went on to say this. I'm sorry, that's second view. I'll get there in just a minute. Now, here, here's the point. The longer people like you and me reflect on the grace that was necessary to secure our salvation, from whom? From our Lord, from our Master. That's why Peter started the way he did. I, I'm a bondservant of this Lord. The more we muse on that, the less likely we'll be attracted to some false teaching about the nature of our gender or the nature of our bodies or the nature of our secu- um, sexuality, because oftentimes that is simply a rebellion against His creative design. In other words, musing on the gospel of our glorious Lord and Creator protects us from false teaching In fact, just peek over. I'm trying to stay out of the the next chapter, but this next verse explains that in chapter um, 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Did you hear that? Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying whom? Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Friends, either our Creator God made us male and female or He didn't. And that's either proven not by your feelings and not by your subjective experience, but by a logical and genetic reality. And the gospel of Jesus Christ ought to humble us. That the common belief that we all share as followers of Christ that we desperately needed a Savior, we desperately needed a Lord, and therefore... His teaching about our bodies is what we're going to seek to joyfully follow without apology, regardless of what our world might say. It's with the Apostle Paul, we would affirm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to admit that I needed a Savior I couldn't save myself. I'm not ashamed to admit that I needed somebody else's righteousness in order to satisfy my holy God's righteous demands. I'm not ashamed to admit that Jesus Christ made me. He made my body, and therefore I'm going to joyfully submit to what He says in His Word about gender, about human sexuality, and about any other topic that's all wrapped up in not being ashamed of the gospel. Peter goes on to say, grace and peace be multiplied in knowing God how does that fit into the conversation? Here's why. False teaching will tear up a family. And some can give testimony of that firsthand, regrettably. False teaching will tear up a church. But what happens to men and women who truly have been impacted by the gospel? Well, there's, there's grace. There's peace. It's multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
Commentator Peter David said it like this, therefore the knowledge, it's not simply intellectual. It's not only knowing things about God and Jesus or even personal in the sense of having met someone. It's knowledge that that results in ethical living. The, the gospel causes me to want to submit to my want to submit myself to my rightful Lord. A couple of weeks ago, our school had its very first varsity football game. Some of you may know about that. It's really it's amazing to just watch the Lord continue to develop and to bless that particular ministry. And so a few days later, our athletic director, Josh Hill, forwarded me a message he received on this IHSAA portal. We're part of the Indiana High School Athletic Association, and what he had received on his portal was called an exemplary behavior report. And it was notifying him that an exemplary behavior report had just been added to the system. And he forwarded it to me, and I thought, uh-oh, an example of what? Right? Just because it's exemplary doesn't mean it's an example of good things, but it was actually from one of the referees who had been assigned to um, officiate our first um, football game. And here's what this referee said. He said, I had the honor of officiating Faith Christian's first varsity football game on Saturday night, August 19th. Coach Hale and his team are to be commended for showing amazing sportsmanship. All the players were very respectful. They, they played the game as their first game. They, they played the game, the ref said, the way it was intended to be. I also want to commend player number 40, his attitude was amazing as he even asked me, a ref, if I wanted him to pray for me for anything. These young men were a blessing to be around. You know, referees can't always say that. These young men were a blessing to be around. Good luck with this season. Thank you, coach and staff, for training and preparing these young men for, for real life. Friends, what is that? And maybe it's a group of student-athletes who have been impacted by the gospel. And as a result, they're going to submit themselves, just like Peter did at the beginning of this book. They're going to submit themselves to, to their Savior, which in that particular setting included submitting themselves to the referees, right? Don't tell me you're submitting yourself to your Savior if you're not going to listen to what He says about your body. Don't say you're submitting yourself to your Savior if you're not going to listen to him about, if, if you're not going to listen to the authorities that he's placed in your life. And I realize you might say, ah, just a football game. Just a football game. Well, and maybe so, maybe not. Because, see, what happens when young people like that come across false teaching? That's the logical connection here. And I would suggest the same gospel that motivated them to obey the Word of God regarding authority could very well motivate them to obey God regarding what Scripture says about gender identity and human sexuality and so much more. See, let's remind ourselves over and over and over about the nature of the salvation we've received through the powerful and life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, I'm so glad that you're here. It is pretty amazing what the Lord is doing right now in our church. It was never our desire to be big, and we're not about numbers, but we do pay attention to statistics because every number represents a soul. We care a lot about souls around here because souls are going to spend eternity somewhere. And so if you compare this summer to last summer, just last Sunday as an example, there were over 200 more people at our campuses than the same summer a year ago, same Sunday a year ago. 
Now, they tell us that the average evangelical church is under 100 people. What that means is God chose to add a couple of new churches to the church we already had here. That's a lot of people. And that's a lot of blessing. That's a lot of privilege. But it also certainly is a concern or an opportunity to be sure that every person who's coming, whether you've been coming here for a long time or whether you're brand new, do you know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven? Have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you admitted your sin? Have you admitted what we've been talking about this morning, that it's impossible by our own work to somehow satisfy the just requirements of a holy God? And therefore, I'm not coming to him by my works. I'm going to be good enough to earn my way to heaven. No, all my works, that's like filthy rags. I'm just getting that out of my hands. And I'm coming empty. I'm asking him for forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, recognizing that when I do that, I'll not only be forgiven, but also clothed in the righteousness of his son. And that's how I can stand before him with a personal relationship. And friend, if you've never done that before, I would invite you to do it right now, like right now. And if you say, well, I've still got some questions, that I would encourage you, the reason we put our phone numbers on the church bulletin is not so that teenagers will prank us in the middle of the night. Did you hear that, teenagers? <laughs> That's not why they're there. It's so that you'll call us, and, and you're not a bother, you're not an imposition. We'll drop whatever we're doing, and we'll set up a time where we can talk with you about how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Now, next, Peter calls us to remember that you possess all the resources necessary for growth in Christ. See, not only does the gospel of Jesus Christ save, but the gospel of Jesus Christ sanctifies. It, it helps us change to progressively become more and more like Jesus Christ, over time we're being made holy. We're being remade into His image. Now, see, that, that's the lie of the world. You, you can't change. You have to be true to yourself. That's the essence of much of false teaching. And again, I'm trying to stay out of chapter 2. But if you just peek... Over there again, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Now listen to this. Many will follow their sensuality. There it is. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. See, there's the lie. You can't change. And in so doing, you would deny yourself, you would be going against your feeling, and your feelings are what determine reality and truth for you. It's the old Invictus poem, right? They use it at high school graduations all the time. You're the master of your fate. Oh, really? You're the captain of your soul. You have to be true to yourself. Now, let's be careful here because... No doubt our feelings can be very powerful. So if you talk to somebody experiencing gender dysphoria, they're going to report overwhelming feelings. They are. They're significant experiences, and we shouldn't automatically discount all of that. Part of Christian compassion is listening carefully to another person's experience. Did you believe that? And if a parent, if you say, I, I'm not going to have that conversation with my child, regardless of what, how they're feeling or regardless of what they're thinking, or if a church wasn't willing to have conversations like this, we're going to be in trouble. You know why? Because who is willing to have those conversations? Plenty of people in the world, 
They'll listen all day long. They'll celebrate the person who believes they want to go. They'll make a hero out of that person. And if the parent, a grandparent at church, is not willing at least to listen to what the person is experiencing, we've set ourselves up for failure. Same is true with same-sex attraction. You might say, I've never experienced that one time in my entire life. Well, we better be prepared to carefully listen to those who do. Because life in this broken world, and it is broken, is it not, can be very complex and very confusing. However, the message of the Scripture is we're more than our feelings. Are you glad for that? And so in joyful submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's the rightful master of our fate. He's the rightful captain of our soul. We can choose to think and speak and act in ways that honor His truth and His reality. And Peter says, remember all the resources that you possess to grow in Christ, including His divine power. You might say, choosing to go against my feelings is hard. That's why God has given us everything that we need to do so. His glory and His excellence is on display when you do And friends, false teaching and false teachers can never offer any of that. And so when a follower of Jesus Christ chooses to turn to that source of truth and that source of enablement, delightful change can come. We had a gentleman give a membership testimony right here in this room not very long ago, and he shared with his church family, not because he had to. No one told him he had to do it. He wanted to that he experiences same-sex attraction. He said that right here in this room. But he understands, and by the way, I'm giving this illustration with his permission, but he understands that in order to honor his Lord Jesus Christ with his heart and with his body, he must not and he will not act on those feelings. He must not and he will not act on those desires. He's going to deny himself in that particular way, and take up his cross and follow Christ. Do we even believe in that ethic anymore? And it took an incredible amount of courage for him to say that. It did. It took an incredible amount of power to joyfully live that way. And by the way, oh, Pastor Rise, I wish you wouldn't have brought that up. That is all of our testimonies. Do you understand that? Please tell me you're not planning to be true to yourself today. Because I'm just telling you right now, yourself wants to overeat. Yourself wants to get mad at somebody. Yourself wants to do all kinds of crazy things. Don't be true to yourself. And if you're not sure you're going to remember that, in the foyer, I will be happy to record that on your phone before you leave the church. Don't, don't, don't be true to yourself. We, We have to, and we have the privilege by the power of God to test every one of our desires, every one of our feelings to, what did we sing about a little bit ago? His holy word. And if my feelings, my desires do not conform to His holy word, I need to what? Not follow them, the captain of my soul. No, you need to put them to death. You need to crucify them and replace them with desires that will honor Him and please Him. And every time you do that, and I hope you've been doing that all week long, That's why I didn't have to come visit you in the jailhouse this week. I hope you've been doing that all week long. And every time you do, God's divine power, His glory, and His excellence are working in and through you. 
Right? Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. <laughs> There's things about me that have to be put to death. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Giving in to every feeling and desire is a sign of weakness. Do we understand that? That's not something to be celebrated. Giving in to every feeling and every desire is a sign of weakness. Controlling them with biblical truth is a sign of it's a sign of strength, but it's a sign of whose strength? It's a sign of God's strength. Peter also speaks about the extent of your provision. He's granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do you believe that this morning? That, that in Christ and in His Word, you have everything that you need to live in a way that honors Him that's why Paul prayed this for the Ephesians, and I think we ought to pray it for ourselves. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, there it is, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. That's what Peter's saying. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. False teachers and false teaching can't offer any of that, which means that gospel-centered living is one of the best antidotes to the philosophies of the world there is, and the response ought to be, well, who would need that, that whatever aspect of false teaching we're discussing, who needs that when I already have everything that I need in Christ? He also explains the purpose of your resources. What's at stake here? Life and godliness, being partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You know, that's one of the beauties of being part of a church family. We're not a perfect group of people by any stretch, but there's a lot of growing taking place around here. And you can point to all sorts of examples of women and men in this church family people who are benefiting from the resources available to them in Christ, and that's part of what helps us remember. It's seeing it worked out in a brother and sister's heart and life who's part of this family. There's also the means for you to grow through the true knowledge of Him who called us. Remember, Peter's likely in prison awaiting martyrdom. That has a way of helping you sort out what you really believe. That helps you sort out what you really know, and maybe better stated, who you really know. It's like Paul said, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. For you old-timers, that probably makes you want to break out into an old hymn, right? You want me to do that for you? That'll ruin, ruin your Labor Day. For I know whom I have believed, and I, I, I'm, the song said, persuaded, I, that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him against that day, the true knowledge of him who called us. A little over a week ago, we had the, the privilege and the responsibility of having the memorial service for a dear member of this church, Tuffy Fuller. Wilma's right in the back in her place. I hope you're continuing to pray for her. It was a delightful service. I'll tell you, memorial services are not very well attended anymore. That one was packed in a place whose HVAC was not 
designed for that much of a crowd, by the way. But we had a marvelous time just celebrating Tuffy and celebrating Tuffy's Savior. But one of the many wonderful things that Tuffy and Wilma did was raised their son, Steve. Steve had Down syndrome. The doctors told Steve, or told Tuffy and Wilma when he was born he would not survive. Well, they didn't have that one exactly right. He lived till he was 40 years old. And you probably know that that's very old for someone with Down syndrome. And I've always said humanly, I think it was because of the marvelous care that Tuffy and Wilma gave Steve. And longtime members of this church remember Steve, Stevie Fuller, here's an important part of this church family. And um, we had a lot of fun. Stevie was a joyful, joyful young man. But Wilma was telling me a story. She and Steve were driving in, in the car, and they went past a, a, a graveyard. And, and, and Steve just said this of his own volition. He said, people die. I, I want to die. I want to go to heaven so I can be with Jesus and have fun. Now, there it is, simple faith, profound faith, somebody who believed he had all he needed. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed against him against that day. That's one of the antidotes to false teaching. Another key component is how he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. False teachers always overpromise, and they always underdeliver. Has sin ever kept its promise to you? No, no. But what about God's wonderful promises? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's, that's a promise, a magnificent promise. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's a promise of our God. John 10.28, And I gave eternal life to them, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never, God promised this to you. I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body. See, Stevie Fuller got it right on that one. Rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will, what? I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We need to remind ourselves of such wonderful promises, so whatever is offered by false teaching and false teachers just pales in comparison to that. When you have assurance of eternal life, then you can come back and talk to me, said facetiously. Lastly, Peter said, remember your responsibilities to grow in godliness. Now, these are the verses that we went over this summer, so I'm just mentioning them so that you'll have the full outline of applying all diligence. You see that, be more diligent. I will be diligent. So the resources we're talking about, they have to be accessed. They have to be put to good use. So what that means is families and churches who are going to avoid false teaching are going to have to work at it. In fact, I had some time this week to do some advanced prep on some of these messages from chapter 2. It's going to be rough sailing. What do you think about that? It's not going to be Christianity light. We're going to have some work to do. Are you up for that? Absolutely. If that's what the Word of God says, then that's what we're going to do. 
supply and increase the needed qualities for growth in your faith. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why sometimes we do have to stand for these freedoms to proclaim truths in a community that sometimes wants to suppress our freedom to do it. So that's why when the city of West Lafayette attempted to pass an ordinance that would fine faith-based counselors $1,000 a day if we showed minors who voluntarily came to us what the Word of God had to say about human sexuality, we don't like to fight, but we had to stand up and fight that. See, it's one thing for God to give us the resources, but it's something else for us to do what we have to do to ensure access to those resources for anybody who denies them. And the bottom line is the West Lafayette City Council was trying to promote and protect false teaching. And if anybody on the West Lafayette City Council doesn't like the fact that I just said that, then I'll stop saying it as soon as they stop trying to protect and promote false teaching. But we're a church, we're a Bible-believing church, and we're not imposing this on anybody, but we're certainly not going to allow anyone to try to threaten us against teaching the Word of God to those who voluntarily want to hear it. And that's why we went before our state. It was not particularly pleasant this year to go before our state, but praise God, they enacted a law preventing any local unit, any local government from doing that anywhere in the state of Indiana ever again. Why? Because we want men and women, boys and girls, to be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to accept and fulfill their responsibilities to grow. One of the net effects is to make certain His calling and His choosing you. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling. And I realize, you know, you could walk away from this message this morning and say, you know what, Pastor Virus, I did not learn one new thing today. (laughs) that's possible. And that's not necessarily bad because sometimes we're to call to mind the truth that you've been taught by others. And Peter said, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. I consider it right and so do I. As long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, I absolutely believe that. Now, you might say, what about that young girl that you mentioned at the beginning named Grace who told her mom she was no longer a girl and had changed her pronouns? Well, you can read her entire story at the Gospel Coalition website if you would like to. It it took several years of her family loving her and her church loving her and them taking some rather difficult and controversial steps. But here's what Grace said. It's an interesting testimony. She was walking her neighbor's dog. She was wrestling with God. She was near the end of her freshman year of high school. And here's what she said. This is a direct quote. I knew I couldn't be a trans kid and a Christian at the same time. And if we're talking about a Christian that's going to let the Word of God be our source of truth, I agree with that. So she said to God, or she said, I had to choose. Very begrudgingly, I told God, fine, fine. If you made me to be a woman, whatever. Fine. And then she said a week later, her gender dysphoria was gone. She felt uncomfortable but immensely relieved at the same time. Now, you might say, well, I wish we could have had a little bit sweeter repentance. Let me tell you something. If you ever find yourself in that situation, you'll take whatever repentance you can get. And that was the God of grace. That was the God of grace 
helping her remember. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that you're just honest with us and honest about um, our own tendencies and temptations. You're honest about the nature of the world in which we've been placed. But Lord, thank you that we don't have to walk away this morning with our heads held down. Lord, thank you that you've given us all that we need. So we can be honest about the problem because we're, we're so confident in the solution. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people who muse on the gospel. I pray that we would marinate on the gospel. And I pray that our love for you would increase. I pray that our desire to submit to you as our Lord would increase. And I pray that as a result, false teaching would have no appeal. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.